So there are many different ways, <clears throat> many different ways that the Bible talks about and treats our, our life here on earth. Many different ways that it uses to describe what that life should be like. And one of the ways that I've been thinking about, one of the ways that I want to spend some time speaking about this, this afternoon, is the way it describes life as a race. I want us to picture for a moment, maybe a, a high school setting of some sort, but a race is going to be held. And preparing for the race, you have all the racers coming and and uh, all those that are going to put their names into this race, they're going to sign up for it. And there's a list of qualifications they have to have had met before they can run this race. They, they've had to maybe run some other races to get here. They, they've got to be able to, to run a certain speed or, or they have a, a certain list of things that they must be able to do to be able to enter in this race. But you have one racer who, who kind of sets to the side and thinks, I can do that. And so, on the day of the race, he, he comes, but he doesn't sign up. He doesn't get a, a bib, you know, the little, the little number that they pin to their shirts. He doesn't get a bib. When, they, when the, the, the referee says go, he shoots his pistol, and everybody starts running. This man starts to run too, but he doesn't run on the racetrack. He runs on the other side of the fence, on the outside. I don't think it's a very difficult question for us to think about. Is this man going to be eligible for the prize at the end of this race? Um, I want us to think about that illustration for a moment. Keep that in mind as we think about some of the race information for the the race that we are called to run as Christians. (coughs) The first thing I want us to notice as we think about this this race of, of our lives is that each and every one of us has been invited to this race. But more than just each and every one of of us, more than just you and more than me, everyone has been invited to this race. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and and create from all nations disciples. Go to every nation and make disciples, those that that would follow him. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we read that one this morning, he said, For all those who are weary, all who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Mark 16, verses 15 through 16. It said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. And even as we've been learning in our Wednesday night class on Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the bride and the spirit say, come. He who thirsts, come. What he's saying is whoever desires, come. They have all been invited. And so that tells me that there's not a soul alive today that has not been invited to run in this race. It doesn't matter if at one point in your life you said, you know, I don't believe this. I think this is garbage. I don't think that that there is a God and I'm not concerned with that. You're still invited to run in this race. It doesn't matter if at one point in your life you listened to, you you believed in Buddha or you believed in uh, some other God. It doesn't matter. You were still invited to come run in this race. But that leads us to our next thing, is that more than just an invitation to run, you have to actually enter the race. It's not enough just to hear that the invitation has been given out. It's not enough just to receive that invitation and think, oh, well, there's a race over there that's worth my running. You must meet certain requirements to enter into this race. 
We speak about these oftentimes at the end of our sermons. You must hear, you must believe, repent, be baptized. You must confess of, of, of your of, uh, confess of Jesus as Lord. But to lay aside, to, to, to run this race, we must lay aside all things that might hinder us from running this race. Look over in Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 9. Paul writes there to the Colossians saying, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now Paul's going to be the one that speaks so much about this idea of running the race, of competing in the games of life, competing for something more than just a, a physical uh, reward. And he tells them in, in, in Colossae, he says that you have laid aside, you have, you have put off the old man that, uh, went with his deeds. The, uh, the NLT says that you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Entering into this race requires something. It requires a payment be made. Now that payment is not something that we, that we shell out uh, of, our, of our wallets. It is a change of our lives. It is a giving of ourselves in a sacrifice to God. And we see that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that it is our reasonable service in entering into this race. It is reasonable for us to consider that we must sacrifice to run in this race. And when we understand that we have been invited, and when we understand that we need to enter this race, the next thing we need to know is that we also have to run in this race. There are so many today, and it is so easy for us to consider that maybe, maybe once I've entered the race, once, once I'm on the track with the other racers, that makes, that's pretty good. That's more than all these other people that are sitting around just watching, that are not considering the race at all. And sometimes we can be tempted to sit down. Sometimes we can be uh, tempted to just, you know, I'm just going to jog for a little bit, and I'm going to start moving to the edge and let people start going by me. What we don't understand, maybe, is that that hurts us. It's not helping us get towards that prize at the end. We're not going to receive the, the reward if we haven't ran the race. And not only does that hurt us, that hurts others. Because as others run the race and they, they see us walking and they see us slowing down, maybe, maybe they see us setting down on the side, they, they are going to leave their race. And they're going to come to us and they're going to try to encourage us and lift us up and try to, to press us on. And sometimes those people themselves, they begin to slow and they begin to quit that's why in Galatians chapter 6 when it tells us to to reach out to those who have been overcome by sin but to be careful lest we be overcome by sin ourselves now in Acts chapter 8 we have a wonderful example of someone running in the race you have Philip as he is on his way as he's coming down from Samaria and he is uh, brought by the Spirit to, to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 30 that he runs to meet him. Now, if you didn't run here this morning and if you didn't run up here to, to say the prayer, Carl, I was timing you. I think you could have been a little bit quicker. No. If you're not running, that's not the example that we see from Philip. But when was the last time that you ran to do the Lord's work? When was the last time that you rushed to do the Lord's work? It's interesting, another passage that Paul uses is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, a passage we, we know so well. He tells them there to be steadfast, immovable. He uses words that talk about being still, about not being moved. And then the very next thing he says, at the same time, we are to be abounding in the work of the Lord. 
That means that our work for the Lord is supposed to be superfluous. It is beyond measure. We should be not persuaded to move backwards, but we should be motivated to rush forwards always in service to God. And this takes zeal. Look over in Titus for a moment. In Titus chapter 2, Paul was giving Titus some instruction on, 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 on elders and on qualities of, of uh, members of the church for that church to be sound and for that church to be healthy. And then he starts talking about, about grace and about zeal. And he says in verse 14, who gave himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, as you study through the Old Testament, it becomes, it's not a stretch of the imagination to see the relationship between Christians and God today and the relationship between Israel and God in that day. Israel was a nation that was bound in slavery. Israel, they were, they were not of their own strength. They were, they were looked down upon. They were weak. And they were not worthy of being a nation. Of, they didn't have the ability to make themselves a nation. And God chose them because He had made a promise to Abraham to, to lift them up, to bring them out of their slavery, out of their bondage, and to create a nation of them, to make them His people. We can see those same relationships when we look at our own life as Christians, that we were bound in sin. We were under the bondage and slavery of the devil. And, and we didn't have the ability to make ourselves anything more than that. And God gave His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross that we might be brought up out of that. Brought up out of sin. Brought up into, uh, into His kingdom to be kings of kingdoms, royal priesthood. We can kind of see the relationship between Israel and God and Christians in God. But notice what else he says here in verse 14. It's not just he's just trying to create his own special people. He's trying to create a special people who are zealous. Zealous for good works. Now that word zealous, that word means to contend for, to fight for. The other day, um, some of the kids were racing, uh, racing here in, in the, up and down the aisle. And uh, it was really funny to watch them because they know what it means to be zealous to win. They contend for first place. I heard more than once, you can't push, you can't pull. They were fighting to see who would get in first. Now, as Christians, we don't fight to see who's going to be the best, who's going to be greatest. We understand that. We're not fighting in that sort of manner. But when it says that He died to create a people who are zealous for good works, when there's opportunities to serve, each and every one of us should run to that. Should run to do the good works that Christ died to make us zealous for. We have to run. We also see that we have to be on the right track. You remember our illustration that we used earlier of the boy running on the outside of the track? Um, another illustration maybe to, to help show this. My father used to wire houses. Uh, he, would, he would put the electricity in the walls. And uh, Joe and, and Charles, I'm sure you all can... Uh, relate that's an easier job before the drywall goes up when the drywall is down you, is the time to wire the house but maybe you get called an electrician gets called to a job and the, the walls are already up and he has to figure a way to get wiring from the plugs and from the light switches to the box and he thinks boy it'd be a whole lot easier just to go on the outside of the walls 
We'll just have exposed wire running everywhere, but I'll get it done quickly. They won't have to wait very long. We'll have, we'll have the lights working, and whenever he's done, when they flip the switch, when you plug something in, it'll come on. It works. But I guarantee you that house won't pass code. I guarantee you when, the, when, the, uh, when, when they come to inspect the house, when the home inspector comes, he's going to look at that and he's going to say, this, this isn't going to work. And I guarantee you if it's my house, that electrician's not getting paid. Not at least until he goes back and fixes everything that he does. And even then, I'm thinking I deserve a discount. The only place, the only way that we can expect to run life's race and receive the prize is within the church of the Lord. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Richard mentioned this passage earlier today in our, in, in our Bible class, uh, but you have, <clears throat> you have Paul reaching out to the elders who were in Ephesus, wanting to meet with them and give them some instruction. And here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, one of the things that he instructs them is to take heed of yourselves and of the flock among you, which, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. That's a really significant passage. It's a really significant thing that Peter was, was speaking there to these Ephesian elders. Because one of the things that he was doing, by implying that there was something they were to shepherd, was that there was nothing else that they were to be shepherding. He said to shepherd the church of God. Not shepherd the church of your opinion over here. Not the shepherd the church of I thinks or wouldn't this be good. To shepherd the church of God. The church that Jesus had died to create. The church that Jesus had built. He says you go and you shepherd these things. And then he draws out another valuable point about this. That's the church that Jesus' blood was shed for. We've entered a couple races in, in my life. Very few. I'm not fond of them. I do them to give Holly moral support. And as she finishes way ahead of me, I'm trying to cheer her on. Um, but I tell you what, at the end of those races, uh, when I am just barely crawling across the finish line, I would hate to have somebody come to me and say, you know what, you ran a tough race, but you forgot to put your bib on. You ran a tough race, but... It wasn't the right course. You're supposed to finish five miles over here. You finished way over there. You ran a tough race, but you completely missed the fact that this was the race you were supposed to be running. You weren't even on the right track. God tells us there's a place, there's a track that we're to be running on. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, He says that He adds us to the church when we are saved. He puts us on the right track. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, we get a little bit more information about that. Because he says there, <clears throat> speaking of the relationship between husband and wife, and, and making a, a, a statement about the relationship that has between Christ and the church, he says in Ephesians 5, 23, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, whenever he starts speaking about the body here, one thing that he's implying is the fact that there are different individual members. The body is a collection of members working together to create the whole. And so there can be those of us that God has placed inside of the church. 
When we, are, when we were baptized, when we were saved, we entered. We actually entered the race and God set us inside exactly where He wants us to be in the church and we're running the race. But it's very possible that we started offering that race, but we're no longer a part of the right track because we have turned aside to, to other churches that hold to different things other than, than this right here. Maybe they don't believe everything that the gospel says. There's things that they think, well, you know, this will be good and that's what we'll do. No, the body of Christ, the body of Christ says this right here tells us what is good and that's what we'll do. Maybe there are some churches that say, well, you know, these things, they, they look like they're good, but they're hard. I'm not sure if I want to do those hard things. The body of Christ says, even if it's hard, God's commanded us to do it. We will do it. Christ is the head of that church, the savior of that body. And we need to ask ourselves, are we a part of his body? If not, we need to ask ourselves, am I running possibly on the wrong track? We also need to understand that we need to run this race patiently. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 <clears throat> says that, tells us not to become sluggish, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Tells us to imitate those who in past have, have exemplified through their, uh, their patience the ways in which we inherit the promise. In chapter 12, <clears throat> chapter 12 goes on to say in verses 1 and 2 that we also should, uh, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's looking at, at patience for certain, running with endurance. But then he, comp he, he, he goes a little bit further with that thought, saying in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're running with patience. We're running a race like Jesus ran. Who from the beginning, from the garden, He had a role in the redemption of man. From the moment that, 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 that Eve sinned, from the moment that Adam followed after her, from the moment they were cast out of the garden, God had a plan to redeem this relationship between man and himself. And Jesus was that plan. And he watched for thousands of years as his creation rose up to become a nation, as his creation rebelled against him. As, as they sacrificed to other gods, as they went into exile, as they returned. And then He came in, in human form and He watched as His creation nailed Him to a cross. That takes patience. That takes long-suffering. I was thinking the other day, how, how many times, I think it was me and you, Scott, were talking about it. How many times is it that with our children that we were ready to say, that's enough. I've had enough. You're disobeying me and, and, and go to your room. How many times throughout creation did Jesus have the opportunity to say, that's enough? He is our example of patience. He ran with long-suffering. James chapter 5 and verse 7 uses another example. The idea of a farmer waiting for his crops to, to yield fruit. You know, that farmer doesn't set out there, put the seed in the ground cover it up, throw a little bit of water on it, and if something hasn't popped up in five minutes, he's digging it all back out and giving up, putting in a pool instead. No, he's patient. And we live in an impatient world. And we need to persevere. We need to have endurance. We need to suffer along because we are not in a sprint. This isn't, uh, this isn't Hussein Bolt's race. This isn't a nine-second 
and it's done. This is a long race that we are in for our lives. And no matter what we face, we have to patiently continue forward in our race. And that means that we run with our eyes on the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2, as we read, He is our example. And 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says, Christ suffered for us so that He could set an example for us. And as we mentioned, He is an example of patience. But you know, another thing that He's an example for, I think it's hard not to see His example here, is His example of forgiveness. His example for forgiveness is, is intertwined throughout His life. And this isn't meant to be a lesson about that. But just as we consider this race that we're running, as we consider focusing our eyes on God, think for a minute about what that meant for Christ when He forgave the world, when He gave His life so that the world could have forgiveness of sins, so they might have something in which to present themselves before God holy. That cost Him something. That cost Him the glory of being by the right hand of God, coming to earth and being made man. That cost Him dealing with the physical infirmities of being human and living in a sin-filled world. It cost Him years of His life spent toiling to, to work and make a living. And it cost Him the humiliation as He went around to the people that should have known Him best and listened to them mock Him, listened to them ridicule Him, and eventually turn against Him and murder Him. But what did He say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. When we run our race, there's going to be people bump against us. There's going to be people rub us the wrong way. There's going to be people do things that are downright terrible. One thing that we learn from Christ's life is forgiveness costs something. It's not something that's just freely given. It costs something to be given. And it doesn't cost the person that's obtaining it. We are not the ones that paid the price for our forgiveness. Christ paid the price. And so whenever someone does something to us and they, they desire our forgiveness, we have to understand that that's going to cost us something. But we look to Christ for our example as we run this race. We also look to Christ for our strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I've been thinking a lot about that passage lately in light of the, the study that I've been doing in Nehemiah. How many times Nehemiah had to rely upon the strength of God in this project. Because whenever God's people say, you know what, it's time for us to run. There's a race that needs to be run and it's time for us to get involved and time for us to be moving towards God. That's when Satan stands up and says, it's time for me to cast stones into this field. It's time to me to raise the speed bumps and the hurdles and to cause the things that are going to, be, to slow them down. In the days of Nehemiah, the people of God said, it's time for us to arise and build. They recognized there's work that God uh, was, was blessing them to do and they needed to be involved in doing it. And whenever these people said, it's time for us to get up and build, Satan said, it's time for me to get up and discourage. And he does that through the, way, the means of men like Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem. And one of the ways he does this is he tries to discourage them by mocking them and scoffing at them, making fun of them, threatening them. And I think it's Geshem who asks, how will these feeble people, these Israelites, these Jews, how will these feeble people build such a great wall? You see, Nehemiah came with letters from the king. 
Letters which, among other things, said, build the walls around Jerusalem. Sambalat and Tobias and Geshem need only be handed those letters to know they have no right, no authority to touch Nehemiah, to try and, and harm Nehemiah because that's an act against the king. And so they try to discourage him. We can't, we can't stop him, but maybe we can get him to quit. We have our letter from the king. He's given us instruction to work, to build the wall, to build the church. And Satan knows he has no authority to act against the king. He has no authority to try and, and physically stop us, but he can try to discourage us. He can try to scare us. He can try to fill us with fear. And we need to be like Nehemiah, who whenever they came and they said, how on earth are you guys going to build this wall? Nehemiah said, it's not me building the wall. This isn't my project. I'm not trying to make myself king. So I'm going to keep doing what God has given me to do. You guys are making these things up. You guys are speaking from your own hearts. And you guys don't even have an inheritance in what we're doing here. I'm not going to let you distract me. I'm not going to let you bother me. That is keeping your eyes on the strength of Jesus. So many times that passage in Philippians 4.13 gets taken out of context. I can do anything I can possibly imagine in the strength of Jesus. Nehemiah understood what, what, would have understood what was being said in Philippians. Had he read that, he would have looked back at his own life and said, absolutely, I can do the will of God in the strength of Jesus. So we need to run in our race, looking to Christ as our example and looking to Him as our strength as we move forward. And then we also need to abide by the rules that have been set. For, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, in the New American Standard, it says, If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. I would hate to find out at the end of my race that I had broken a rule. There's the, uh, the, the racer, um, the bike guy. He, uh, Lance Armstrong won all of these races. Come to find out and, and was idolized by people all over the world. And come to find out that he had broken the rules. All of the Tour de France's that, that he had accumulated, everything was stripped of him because he had broken the rules. There are people today who think they are playing by the rules and look forward to that day of judgment. But Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 7. There are many, many who will say to me, now when you hear that, we don't need to just look out to the world and go, there are many out there that are going to say to me. Jesus is speaking to us. We can be these people if we are not careful. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Or didn't I do that? And didn't I do it in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, how can lawlessness be described as doing something in the name of God? Obviously, there were, there, there were people who were playing and were playing by the wrong rules. And they thought what they were doing was good, but in fact, what they were doing was sin. Some act as if we have no rules. God has left us to, to what feels right to us. If it feels good, if your heart tells you, you go and you do it. They miss the fact that the Word of God is a rule book. So many times in this world, people don't want to accept that. They don't want to believe that. Because what that means to them is that they have to give up and submit themselves to His Word. 
But the Word of God definitely is a rule book. And the Word of God must be followed. We have to abide by those, by those rules. And we have to run in this race until the race is finished. It is completely possible to drop out and make ourselves disqualified. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. Paul is writing to people who were Christians. Writing to people who had been an established church. Writing to people who had served. They had served God and they had served Him well. In fact, Paul says that you were running. And running well. But he says in verse 7, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now if you read back through the Galatian letter, what these people were trying to do is go back to the old law. And it reveals that while at one point they had been running well, something had hindered them. They were deviating from the path. They were deviating from the rules. And this was hindering their race. Jesus also, like Paul, talked about the ability to be hindered. He said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, that there are those who will take hold of the plow, take hold of the work of God entering into His kingdom to build the walls of His kingdom to work. But He said, if you look back from the plow, then you are not fit for the kingdom. There are those who will start this race, but not examine the cost. Not consider that you have to give up time. You have to give up you have to give up desires. You have to give up friendships. You have to give up anything that might put itself between you and God. And there are those that after starting this race, like the weeds that shot up, or like the, the seed that shot up quickly, but was choked out by the weeds, the cares and thoughts of the world, they will look back from the plow. They will look back to the former life, like the children of Israel who who longed to go back to Egypt, like Lot's wife who longed to look back to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Christ said they are not fit for the kingdom. That's a scary, scary description. But it's not one that's without hope. If it's one that describes us, we know that we can be reinstated into this race by repentance and confession and prayer. We know that 1 John 1.9 tells us about God's attributes and says that He is faithful and He is just to forgive us. But this is the information that we have about our race. That we have been invited to the race that we must enter and it's time for us to run. It's time for us to be on the right track, to be patient, to focus on Christ our Lord, to abide by His rules and run and run until the race is over. Why? Because there's a reward. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul speaks about this reward. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I run, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should, have, should become disqualified. Paul, the apostle of Christ who had been stoned, the apostle of Christ who had given up his life to travel around the known world and preach the truth, 
the man who had went before great kings and had spoken about the glories and wonders of God understood the fact that I can be disqualified from this race. Every one of us needs to understand that. But you know what he understood more? He understood the reward that came from it. He spoke of it here as a crown unlike any other crown. One that will not perish. Not like the wreaths that they wrap around the heads of the, the comp competitors in the games of that day. Not like the, the medals that we see in the Olympic games today. A crown that is imperishable. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter said there was a living hope as the reward, a hope that was reserved in heaven, a hope that could not be corrupted, a hope that could not be defiled and would not fade. You find some of the gold and some of the, the, the precious things from, from hundreds of years ago. And you see the way that time has treated them. You know, I was thinking the other day about the, the gold medals that the Olympic athletes won and how in maybe even a couple hundred years, certainly a thousand years, they're going to be garbage. There may be some of them that are still in a, in a museum somewhere as they look back on the days when, when these sorts of things were done. But they're not going to be shiny. They're not going to reflect the light the way they do now. They're going to be pitted. They're going to be dull. They are corruptible. And the inheritance that the Jews were looking forward to, that inheritance in the promised land, it was corruptible. But Peter says there is a, there is a reward for running this race. A reward that is bound up in heaven that is incorruptible, that can't be touched, that can't be molested, that can't fade. And it is our hope, our hope that lives within us to receive that reward. Paul would once again speak about this in 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is one of the last letters that Paul writes as he, as he prepares to die for his faith, for his faith and for the race that he's run. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I hope that every one of us can say that at the ends of our life. We can look back on the race that we have run and know that we have run it according to God's Word. Paul finished that saying, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Have you entered His race? I think it's an important question for us all to stop and consider because this is not a spectator sport. And I can't run the race for you. And, and you can't run the race for me. And our parents can't run it for us. Our friends, our loved ones, and they can't run this race for us. We have to decide. 
Now, a moment ago, we spoke about the requirements of entering into this race. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must repent of our sins. We must turn away from, from our own direction and from our own desires and turn towards God. And we must confess before, both, uh, before men, both in our words and in our lives, our faith in Christ. And we must be baptized to receive forgiveness of our sins. But are we, even having entered His race, are we running this race? As we spoke a minute ago, we must remain steadfast, but we need to be abounding and we need to be zealous. And if we have entered in the race and found ourselves slowing down, found ourselves stopped, found ourselves seated, it is time for us to get back up. And it's time for us to keep moving forward and pressing on towards our goals. And if there's any way this afternoon that we, the saints here at the Lake Street Church of Christ, can help in that, we encourage you, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.